from the Summit on Legal Innovation and Disruption East 2018 in New York. I'm Abby Rosenblum. Bobby Basile. Steve Poor. Mark Smolik. And we're on the road with Legal Talk Network. Thank you so much for joining us on the road. It's a pleasure to be here. Today we're talking with our three first speakers that did the keynote for Summit on Legal Innovation and Disruption this morning. So first question for everybody, tell us a little about yourself, brief bio, where are you, who are you, and what you do. I'm Bobby Basile with HBR Consulting. I'm based out of Virginia, and I lead our e-discovery and service delivery transformation practices at HBR. And I'm Steve Poor. I'm currently chair emeritus with Seifarth Shaw. For 15 years, I was chair and managing partner. Uh, and I currently, in addition to having the opportunity to do things like this, I currently lead the firm's uh, tech and data R&D function. And I'm Mark Smolik. I'm, I'm a member of the business team at DHL Supply Chain uh, in the Americas. I lead the company's legal commercial contracts management and compliance organizations. So tell me, what was your presentation about? My presentation was about how law firms and law departments respectively are addressing the market drivers in the industry that are forcing disruption and innovation. And I talked about the big four and their movement into the legal space, some of the drivers and some of the advantages they bring and some of the challenges they have to overcome in order to achieve their goals. And I talked about a different mindset when it comes to innovation. Innovation's not just about technology in the legal industry, but it's, in, at least in my opinion, it's more of a way of thinking, an approach to how you do what you do, encouraging people in the audience to first deeply understand their customers and the decisions they make when they purchase uh, services, and to be innovative, perhaps acting more as a business person who happens to have a law degree or experience in a law department or a law firm uh, than anything else. So what are your thoughts on the rate of change in the industry for innovation? Innovation has been accelerating and picking up speed for quite some time. The definition around innovation has been uh, ill-defined and um, is taking in a variety of forms to include not just technology, but changes in pricing and process and talent and technology optimization. Yeah, I agree with that. I think uh, innovation is a misused term in the industry and in that it's applied to so many different things. But I think the, the pace of change and to pick up on something Mark said, the mindset around thinking differently and thinking creatively about solution sets has picked up speed in the industry. For those of us that have been around longer than we care to admit, it's, it's, it has taken longer to pick up speed than one would have thought a number of years ago. But there's a momentum now behind the industry driven by business fundamentals and driven by, frankly, new entrants into the market that has mattered and is causing some real change in the market. Yeah, Stephen, I think that's a great way of putting it. It's a little bit of a tortoise and a hare. The innovation from a technology perspective is a bit of the hare. It's happening at a pace that is accelerating, literally quarter by quarter. But innovation from the perspective of the mindset of the purchasers of those services is happening at a much slower pace. There's more change going on from a technology perspective 
but there's still an old way of thinking when it comes to evaluating the value that that technology may deliver to a legal department or a law firm that I don't think is catching up with the pace at which the technology is being presented. We're resistant as lawyers, aren't we? Yeah, we are, Steve. Yeah. You're right. And Absolutely. I also think that the, the, the business structures of law firms are preventing acceptance of some of the innovative ideas that are taking place around the, the pricing and the uh, bringing in talent and how roles are changing is, is a, a, a challenge that many law firms are trying to face. And uh, Stephen, I liked how you mentioned in your talk that investment uh, powers strategy and um, law firms and organizations are struggling with how to find investment dollars to fuel some of these innovative ideas and commitments that need to be made um, and bringing that back to what, how that empowers the, the underlying business of the firm and needs a commitment at the most senior levels. It, it's a hard balance to hit as a management of the firm because you need to make the investment dollars, but you're constantly balancing the need for immediate current year financial results right. versus uh, the short-term mentality of many partners in organizations. And so you're, you're, you're constantly under this pressure to show results that true innovation doesn't always produce results right at the beginning. It takes mm -hmm. some investment. It takes some time. And so creating that space for creativity is a, is a real challenge. It's so enlightening to hear a law firm leader, especially of a firm your size, uh, to say that because it takes some courage. I don't typically hear that from the law firms. You see, my view is very much aligned with both of yours with regard to, to innovation from the technology side of things. But from the perspective of the buyer of legal services, and here I'm talking to you, right. Steve, I don't care what you do with regard to technology. If you feel that that investment is going to give you competitive advantage in a hyper-competitive environment, then go at it. It doesn't matter to me what e-discovery system you use, matter management system you use. Don't charge me for it. But if you feel that that is going to help you deliver better value to my organization, then by all means, go do it. I'm not going to demand it. But I do feel if you want to remain competitive, you have to at least evaluate what all the options are available to you. Make sure that you understand, at least with regard to your top 10 clients, what technology they're employing and see whether or not you can at least follow uh, a bit of their lead in that regard. You know, it's such an interesting point because one of the challenges I've had is when, during my years as chair and now, frankly, as chair emeritus, still have, is that point, which is that getting people to understand that what clients are buying are results, right? It's the old, it's the old story of the, uh, I've forgotten now which tool manufacturer, but to pick up on your thing, Carpenter, putting up the picture of the hole in the, in the, in the piece of wood and the tool. And what are, what's the customer buying? And the sales guys are interested in they're buying the tool. No, they're not. They're buying the hole. Mm -hmm. And right. understanding that these are investments you make in the business, not because the clients are asking for you to have a particular piece of software, but because clients need different results and different partnerships and different types of relationships than they ever had before. Fascinating. Bobby, how does, how does that work with your thoughts. How does well, that align? I, I think it's fascinating because when it comes to innovation and disruption, there is no shortage of ideas. There's a lot of creative people in our industry. The, the challenge, I think, is, is prioritizing 
those ideas and mapping them directly back to the problem you're trying to solve, the differentiation you're trying to make, and the value you're trying to demonstrate to your clients. So your clients will see value in the innovation initiatives that the firm is undertaking. The, the prioritization is, is a challenge because it often is un, isn't underpinned and driven by a specific strategy by the firm's leadership, driven to specific funding from the, the firm's leadership. We often say technology is not a strategy. That's right. And people want it to be a strategy, but it's got to be at such a great point, Bobby, that you have to understand what the strategy of the organization is and what the tools are that you're going to use to accomplish that particular strategy may vary. But too many organizations disconnect those two pieces and they think the tools in and of themselves are the strategy. Exactly. The initiatives will drive the strategy where we're really the strategy of what you're trying to solve needs to define which initiatives you undertake and in mm -hmm. which order and how you define success, how you measure success of the initiatives that you as a leadership have conscientiously undertaken to achieve the strategy you've defined. Great. So, Stephen, what is the elephant in the room? You talked, you showed an elephant today. What is the <laughs> elephant in the room? Well, I think there are, there actually are a couple of elephants in the in the context of my presentation. I was talking about the big four in, rep, in, in reference to their size and scope and scale and their ability to make investments and their ability to understand strategy and implement strategy. And I think that uh, in the industry, we sort of recognize that elephant is in the room, but we... Uh, we don't want to talk about it or we want to talk about it in bits and pieces. But I think the other elephant in the room is the, is the changing needs of clients uh, that we all believe that we can, we can adapt and that we have adapted to the needs of clients. But it's a big issue out there. If you look at all the data, whether it's HBR or some of the other surveys out there, they show this gap between the, the needs that Mark, for example, was talking about from the buyers and what's being delivered by law firms That's and the right. gap there. And specifically to that point, we have um, some results from engagements where law for 84 law firms were evaluated against the new clock scorecard. Uh, on average, no firm exceeded expectations out of 84 firms being evaluated by multiple clients, Isn't by multiple sad? attorneys, no firm yeah. rated four or above on any of the criteria on the criteria that is uh, the newer criteria around innovation, creativity, service delivery, information sharing with clients, they didn't even exceed 3.5, which is middle mediocre <laughs> of meeting expectations. So to the, to the point of, are the law firms yet delivering according to the new expectations, the higher expectations of the corporate law departments? The, the early indication is not yet. And no. that is where the white space exists for opportunity at law firms. You're right, and it is a huge white space. But I, I've been using qualitative business reviews with outside counsel for the past 10 years. And every single year we sit down with our firms, we evaluate the firm, the practice groups, and the individual lawyers. So it's become a very mature model. But what I have seen is a progression of the firms that were not perhaps meeting our expectations after we went through our convergence program 10 years ago are now the ones who have found that the more frequent the feedback mm -hmm. and the more they interact and act on that feedback, the more profitable growth that they have a path uh, for uh, opportunity for improvement. And that is true with many, many of my law firms. But it is still very much, forgive me for using the same, a square peg in a round hole. 
the law firms, at least generally, and I'm not overgeneralizing, Steve, say no. Farshaw is one of the most progressive in this, but they don't ask for the feedback. In many regards, they assume that the service they're providing, Bobby, to reference your scorecard through clock, is far exceeding expectations, and mm-hmm. the reality of the clients is that they are not. So, Mark, can you give us specifics? What should legal departments be asking for? From external counsel? External counsel, software providers, legal service providers, consultants? Well, it's a pretty broad question, and obviously it's going to depend. Stephen hit the nail on the head that most law departments are still hiring for results. There is no question that when I have a bet-the-company matter or a sophisticated M&A transaction that has visibility of my board or my audit committee, I'm going to hire somebody that has a very well-established, probably a white shoe firm because of the comfort level with my board. Everything else with regard to the day-to-day legal matters, first and foremost, I can't tell you how many firms assume, even those that are on my panel, I have 19 of them, that they merely need to open a matter, close a matter, and move on to the next matter. And it drives me crazy when I spend significant amounts of money and that file gets closed and I don't get some kind of feedback on, here's what went wrong in your business. And here's what you can do to avoid this the next time. Stephen, should they be asking you for something specifically? No, I don't think so, quite frankly. I don't think it's the obligation of the buyer of legal services to ask for specific things. I mean, that's great if they do. But I think that you really have to think, as the provider of legal services, you really have to think outside in. I think as law firms, we think from the inside out. What do we need? What do, what do we need to be successful? Our hours, our rates, whatever it may be. And I think, in this, and, and Mark made this point, Bobby made this point as well, you have to think outside in. You have to think, okay, put myself in the shoes and thinking of the client, not necessarily the legal department, but the, but the underlying stakeholders that are involved, understand the business, and be able to think, okay, what do I need to know in order to help design solutions that solve the problem that this client is is dealing with. Because oftentimes the client doesn't necessarily understand the problem either. There needs to be a process to get there. So I actually think the onus falls upon the law firm or the service provider to pull those issues out and to engage in this dialogue to say, this is what we can do to help you be successful. Bobby, is there anything specific they should be asking their consulting firms in order to make it clearer for you? Anything specific that you think they should be asking more of? I think it it goes to the point of defining what problems are trying to solve and then defining the priorities for the initiatives of how to solve those problems. Because each law department has different problems and different challenges, as does each law firm. Let me pick up on a question you asked, Steve. What should they be asking? As the seller, ask me what success looks like in my organization, first and foremost. Ask me me the decision-making process that I undergo when I decide who to retain. Most law firms assume I make that decision by myself in a vacuum. No, I will will confer with my team. But I will also take into deep consideration the evaluation of my CFO and my CEO and the decisions that I make. Ask how it is that we accrue on matters when a, a new matter comes in. Understand that when I come to you for legal advice, particularly if it's with a claim or litigation, that I am going to then take the input that you provide to me, 
go to my CFO and say, we need to accrue or reserve this much money on this matter. The more that you could help me define that, the better off I look. And the more that more likely than not, you understand what my expectations are and you're going to continue to get my business. So tell me how you feel solid brings everybody together in the room and how it helps solves these problems, opens the talks. By creating the dialogue, a better understanding of what, what, where the issues are and where the opportunities are to deepen the relationships and to approach the providing legal services in a, a more creative and innovative way. Yeah, I agree with that. I'd, I'd like to tell you it's all about the speakers, but I actually think it's all about the audience <laughs> and the and the structure of the format, allowing the people in the audience to be participants in the dialogue and coming up and sharing views and sharing frustrations, I suspect, uh, that creates a richer dialogue and a richer set of experiences for everybody. Yeah, it absolutely does. At the end of the day, I'm running a business with two factors. Fixed costs, my people, and variable costs, my external counsel and advisors. From the in-house perspective, I want to hear those one or two nuggets of information that other GCs or legal ops heads are evaluating their organizations to see whether or not I can, I can import that best practice. And from the external counsel perspective, which is my variable cost, the biggest cost associated with my budget, I want to hear what they are thinking particularly when it comes time to their evaluation of how they're going to present to me solutions to problems within a fixed budget. So before we close it out today, I have one last question for you. If our listeners would like to follow up, how can they reach you? This is Bobby. You can reach me at bbasile at hbrconsulting.com or via my cell phone, 312-953-9352. And this is Steve Poor. You can uh, you can hit me up on Twitter at my, uh, my handle is at Stephen underscore poor. That's Stephen with a PH. Or you can email me at S-P-O-O-R at Seifarth, S-E-Y-F-A-R-T-H dot com. And this is Mark Smolik. You can reach me at mark.smolik, S-M-O-L-I-K at D-H-L dot com. Well, we've reached the end of the road for today's episode. I want to thank our guests, Bobby and Stephen and Mark, for joining us today. We also want to thank our listeners for tuning in. If you like what you heard today, please rate us in Apple Podcasts. We'll see you next time for another episode of On the Road with Legal Talk Network. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS. Find us on Twitter and Facebook. Or download our free Legal Talk Network app in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.